0: Come, Let's just help me welcome Andre Tan Check, check i live Thank you I look handsome Thank you. I spent 30 minutes on my hair today Because I knew There would be photographs yes. You know we're, we are, and I just want to tell Joy that, you know, thanks, thanks so much, you know, I, I'm, every time you know, I think about the, the belief and the trust that you know, the church has, you know, especially in my life and the life of young people, it just blows me away. You know, we, we, we have such, a, such an amazing church, it's such a privilege. You know, how many of you know that we are an apostolic church? Joy, we are an apostolic church. proof of thought, huh? we will have a space in the altar for you to smash your androids and repent. Okay, so before I, I speak today, I have some important things to read. Uh, how many of you live in the day and age, oh, lived, well how many of you at some point in your church life went to a church that had paper bulletins? Paper bulletins, paper bulletins, remember paper bulletins? So usually the paper bulletins has some announcements, some uh, messages, uh, a note from the pastor. Today, before I start, I want to read some church bulletin bloopers. Can we do that? Church bulletin bloopers. Okay. These are very smart, you know. So if you don't laugh, we know, huh? Okay. So, let's read some bloopers, huh? At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our bell choir practice. (laughs) Not bad, not bad. Don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. (laughs) Punctuation very important. eh? Thursday night, potluck supper. Prayer and medication to follow. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. (laughs) Okay, i got three more. You're with me, huh? National Prayer and Fasting Conference. The cost for attending the conference includes meals. (laughs) Please welcome Pastor Don, a caring individual who loves hurting people. Yeah, last and final one, ready? Low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7 p.m. Please use the back door. <laughs> <sighs> oh, that is that's so good. Yeah. If you wanna find out more, just Google church bulletin bloopers. There's like fifty of those. Amazing, amazing. Are you guys ready for the word? Okay, we are on the sermon series "The Radical Jesus." The Radical Jesus. You know, uh, I th- I think you know the-, the song that Chris sang, Chris Chris sang sang last, uh, really captures the heart behind this sermon series. You know, it's it's the goal of the of the believer. It's to be like Jesus. It's to become like Jesus. To act like Jesus. To think like Jesus. To live life the way Jesus did on the earth. That's the goal of the believer. That's the race we are running. That's That's the aim, that's the the high call, that's what we we are about. We're about becoming like Jesus. And probably one of the most reoccurring attribute or characteristic of Jesus that was mentioned in the Gospels was the fact that Jesus was a servant. Jesus was a servant on the earth. And he's often referred to as the servant king. We just sang about that, you know, just now, the last song. He is the servant king. And I think over time, you know, when you when you sing a bunch of songs that have has the word "servant king," you pray certain prayers. Those words, uh, it, it loses its meaning over time, and you you sometimes you just forget how mismatched and how ironic those two words put together actually actually is. Servant, someone whose life uh, whose life whose very existence revolves around the needs of other people, and a king, a person who has every need, every every desire, catered to him. Jesus was the servant king. It's, it's ironic. It, it, it doesn't make sense. You see, when the Jews, before no, the time of uh, Jesus, when they read the messianic prophe- prophecies in the Bible, when they were, were praying into the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, their expectation of what a Messiah was was completely different from Jesus and the way he represented himself on the earth. The Jews expected a Messiah who would come, literally on a horse, and reign and rule and kill the Roman Empire, take over the nations and liberate the Jews. That was the expectation of Messiah. Messiah equals someone who comes, kills everyone, liberates them, and then restores them. But Jesus came completely different. Jesus came low, he was, he was born in a manger, He, he, he lived a life of servant food, he, he lived a life low, meek, and humble, from birth to death. That was the Messiah that Jesus came to present, that was who Messiah was. And you have to understand that, that that did not sit well with the Jewish people. Amen? Does it make sense? You with me? Yes? See, they had such an expectation. They, they expected some, a, a Messiah figure to come as someone who with great power, great authority, who will literally take nations. And that's why the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness was incredibly difficult. What the devil promised Jesus in that moment was the very thing that the people were crying out for, for in, in regards to a Messiah figure. That's why it was so difficult. But yet, you know, Jesus presented the radical idea that serving and servanthood was the way to change the world. You don't have to wrestle power to do it, you serve. And this drove the Pharisees and the Jews nuts. They're like, this guy is not killing, this guy is hanging out with sinners. This can't be God. And the sum of the radical ideas that Jesus presented in his life, the sum of the ideas that were contrary to the culture of the day, that were contrary to uh, uh, what people perceived, was what ultimately nailed him to the cross. The radical life that Jesus lived was what ultimately nailed him to the cross. And today's radical idea is you serve. You serve. Serving is greatness. Let's look at uh, verse right now, Mark chapter ten, verse forty-two. If you have your Bible, flip to them. If you have your iPhone, scroll. If you have your Android, keep it in your bag. Okay, enough Android jokes. Mark chapter ten, verse forty-two. Are we there? Okay. Before we go on any further, uh, my mom is probably listening to this podcast. So uh, for my sake and for the sake of my family, just amen real loud. Help lah. Okay Hi mommy. Okay. Chapter 10 verse 42. Okay, let's read. Yes, that's the right verse. Eh? Oh, I'm sorry. I I was in Matthew. No wonder it looks so unfamiliar. Mark chapter 10 verse 42. Okay, I'm there. But Jesus called to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. See, Jesus saying in the first verse, you know that those who are considered Rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them. These guys who are in position, these guys who have power, these guys who are authority figures, they use their positions to lord over the people. But Jesus is presenting something else. He was saying to them, if you desire to be great, and and I think by extension, when you become great, when you have position, when you have power, when you are in authority, serve. Don't lord over people. For even the Son of Man came to serve. That was what Jesus presented to the people. And and to some degree, the world teaches us a completely different paradigm. The world teaches us that serving is level one. You serve, you do the grunt work, you become level two, you serve less. Level three, level four, level five, and one day you hit ultimate level and you no longer have to serve. You are a king, you are in position. You no longer have to Serve the people around you. Everyone and their lives revolve around your existence. You're the center of it all. I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean. That, that this is what we are, we are taught. We are taught, bite the bullet when you're young, bite the bullet when you're in a low position, and then one day, you don't have to serve anymore. People serve you. But Jesus presented a completely different idea. When you're in position, when you are great, serve Amen? You know, when I was a kid, we all wanted to be cell leaders. We all wanted to be the cell leader. I had a cell leader growing up. <laughs> no, and and you know, we, we as young people were so zealous to honour our cell leader that seriously, if there was a puddle and our cell leader say, I don't want to get my feet wet, we would jump on the puddle. That's how zealous we were. And I mean... That's exerting, but, but you know, some things like when, when my cell leader went to the food court, she didn't need to stand up to buy her own food. We were like, we'll buy your food. Tell us what to do. When she carried her bag, even though her bag was like this small, we were like, I'm going to carry your bag. bag. Let me carry her bag. Let me carry her bag. Let me carry her bag. Because, and, and this was, this really came out from this place of like, okay, we are zealous to serve, but also we were like, okay, you know what, we bite the bullet now. We carry a girl's bag. We buy our food. And then one day, man, one day, people are going to do it for us. And so that was the motivation. I was like, why we did it, you know? It's true. How many of you have similar experiences? Yes? Only me? Okay. Only me, uh? Can, can. Like that, lah? No, and and it's true, right? Not just in the church world, but in in the corporate world. It's it's the same thing. You know, bite the bullet one day. You know, one day... I I think most of us don't really have a problem with servanthood, serving, you know, we hear this word thrown around so often that, you know, we we don't have a problem. Like, if I say, how many of you have a problem with servanthood? Nobody will probably raise their hands, right? Yes. Yes. You know, many of us volunteer in church now or at some point in our lives. But, you know, the the genesis of this this message came from the fact that I saw uh, two groups, uh, emerge, not in the church, but in, in the general sense. You know, I, I, in, in my time in ministry school, in my time going around different churches, I saw two groups of people that emerge in church. That's group number one, it's people who serve, and they serve to the point of, quote-unquote, burnout. And they get disgruntled, upset. Some of them end up leaving ministry. Some of them end up leaving the church. Some of them end up leaving Jesus. You know, That's group number one. Group number two, it's people who just don't serve. They come to church, they live their lives really, only expecting to receive and never give. And these are two, extreme, two extremes, right? We don't have such people in our church. huh? Yeah. But before I go any further, I want to expand your idea of what serving is and what servanthood is. You know the word ministry in the New Testament? It comes from five different Greek words. And all five different Greek words translate basically to the same few words. It it, it translates to serving or service given in love. Ministry in the Bible, the word ministry, translates to serving or service given in love. Ministry is serving, and in Matthew we read that all believers are ministers. All of us are called to minister. All of us are called to live lives of ministry to the world, to God, and to people. Therefore, ministry is not limited to church. And by extension, serving is not limited to the church. I want to break your paradigm that, that serving is not just the ushers, the, the sound crew, the band. No, serving is, is, is an attitude. It's, it's a life posture of giving of yourself. That's what serving is. Serving is service. It's, it's giving something in love. That's what serving is. Are we on the same page? Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that got placed in my heart uh, from a really young age was that, Andre, I want you to, to serve the people around you. And I want you to serve the people, uh, I want you to serve your friends, I want you to serve people you meet on the streets. And one thing that God really placed in my heart ever since I got saved at 17, he said, he said Andre, besides taking aside a, a portion of your money to tithe and to give as offerings, I want you to take a portion of your money to give away to people, to be generous. And I've been doing that, uh, consistently for the last, how long have I been alive? Eight years. You know, and, and, and I, I see that as my ministry. I see that as my serving and my service to people, that I get to give to you. I get to be a blessing. I get to reveal God as a generous giver mm-hmm. in my giving to you. See, serving, it, serving is, is be, it goes beyond church. Yes. It goes beyond church ministries. Serving is, is a hard attitude, it's a hard posture, it's a mission to love the world. That's what serving is. And so going back to group one and group two, we have to ask ourselves the question, why do we see these groups and individuals with the same dysfunctionalities come up time and time again? How did Jesus do it? How was he able to serve without being burned out? How was he able to do it? How was he able to lay down his life? How was he able to to go low and serve? How was he able to do it? And I think the key is that we need to understand the context of servanthood. The context of servanthood. And this is my sermon title today: The Context of Servanthood. Uh, One of my friends came up to me, and this is a bit cheesy, bear me, but he said, Andre, when you take the text out of the context, you are all you are left with a con. Let me say that again. When you take the text out of the context, all you're left with is a con, Andre. That's what he said to me. And I think, you know, even though it's super cheesy, but there's some measure of truth there. You know, when we take the text out of the context it was written, you know, we, we veer off from its original meaning. We veer off from its original intention. Maybe not by a lot, but, you know, a small, uh, what's this, a small shift can lead to a bigger shift. Okay? You with me? So the context of servanthood. And the the definition of context is such, you know, it's the circumstances that form the setting for an event, statement, or idea, and in terms of which, it can be fully understood. And in terms of which, it can be fully understood. In order for us to understand what servanthood, what biblical servanthood, what kingdom servanthood means for you and me, and how to practically walk it out, we need to understand the context to which Jesus demonstrated servanthood. Amen? Yes. My mother's listening, huh? Amen? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look at John chapter 13. John chapter 13. 13. Got it? Say yes. John chapter 13. Beautiful. Let's read from verse 1. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 3. Pay attention to this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper. And laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. We are all familiar with the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciple. You know, you can't preach a sermon on servanthood and serving without referring to this text. Amen. But we have to read the the act of Jesus. We have to look at this act of Jesus lowering Himself down, washing the feet of the disciples in its context. See, it's verse 3. It says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going to God. From that point, He washed the disciples' feet. See, Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into His hand. That the Father had had given Him all power, all authority. Jesus knew that He had come from God. He knew whose son He was. He knew that He was Heaven's beloved. He knew where He was going. I put it to you that Jesus knew His significance. Jesus knew His significance. Therefore, He served. The context of servanthood is significance. Jesus knew he was significant. And out of that place of significance, he served. Serving is the the fruit of significance. Just as Jesus served because he was significant, now you and I get to live this belief that we serve, I serve, because I'm significant. Does that make sense? You we have to understand that that this, this was like such a a lowly task washing the feet of the disciples. You know, I think it was completely radical for Jesus to wash feet. I I think it didn't fit in the paradigm of the disciples uh, that that a leader would wash feet, let alone the Messiah. You know, the cultural context was this. You know, foot washing was considered to be a task for slaves who were at the bottom of the hierarchy and it was unheard of for social superiors to wash the feet of social inferiors. The washing of feet was an everyday task in Jesus' time, when walking in open-toed sandals was the main mode of transportation. It was also considered to be a menial task. Imagine walking in Birkenstocks in like where where got a lot of sand, Sahara. You know, I I I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty clean person. You know, I think I wouldn't even wash feet if you were wearing shoes. Let alone someone who's not wearing shoes, walking around in the dirty, filthy streets of Palestine. You know, it—it it was completely unheard of. It was dirty. It was—it was—it was, it was, it was a, a task reserved for slaves. But yet, Jesus, as a Messiah, he did it. He—he—he he, he washed his feet, their feet. He served them. And I don't think he just served them in that moment. You know, he, in that moment, he went low. He went low, he, he knelt down, he, he put a towel and he served them, he washed their feet. But you know, Jesus uh, from, from that point on references the cross. The cross is the author, ultimate act of Jesus' service towards mankind. You know, Jesus just, didn't just go low and wash feet, he went low even to the pits of hell to lift you and I up out of darkness and into marvelous light. Jesus served you and me by saving us. Amen? And John chapter 13, verse 14, you know, I don't think it's up on the slides, Jesus commanded the d- disciples and said, hey, you also ought to wash each other's feet. Same is said over us, just as we were served, just as Jesus served us and saved us into His kingdom, we have a responsibility to serve others too. Yes. Serving is a fruit of the revelation of significance. Now, let's go back to the two groups. Group one are people, you know, talking about people who serve to the point of burnout. Group one are typically people who serve in order to gain or feel significance. If you do things in order to feel significant, you will have to keep on doing things in order to feel significant. If If your servanthood and you serving is it has the goal or the intention in order for you to feel significance? Then your serving and servanthood isn't pure; it's with an agenda. See, you don't serve to become significant. You serve because you are significant. Group two people who who, who typically don't serve. You know there, there are people who feel that if they serve, they will run out of time or resources. they they will get tired. They will get drained. it it really is rooted in poverty thinking, which is rooted in insignificance. Never enough. Or there might be people who may have found their significance in something else other than the Lord. True significance is found in Jesus. See, both groups, I feel, have their dysfunctionalities rooted in a lack of a revelation of significance in God. Both groups, same, different dysfunctionalities, but I believe the same root issue. And so we all know that Jesus knew he was significant, John 13. We all know that Jesus knew who he was. Question of the hour is, do we know who we are? Do we know that we are significant? And today I want to present to you a biblical understanding of our significance, why we are significant. It's going to be a bit wordy but bear with me. Cool? Okay, here's why I believe we are significant. Boom. We are significant one, because of the price paid for us, two, because of who we have in us. The price paid for us. Uh where's Sarah? Sarah, how much is this guitar? Four hundred, Four hundred dollars. Okay. If let's say I go to a guitar store, okay, and this guitar is worth Four hundred dollars. Everyone with me? Four hundred dollars. Go to a guitar store and say, "Sir, I want to buy this guitar, and I want to pay five thousand dollars for this guitar." The guy's like, "No, it's worth four hundred dollars." And I, I insist, I want to pay five thousand dollars for this guitar. I go up to the cash register, I drop the five thousand dollars, I take the guitar, and I go home. Let me ask you a question: How much is this guitar worth now? Four hundred dollars or five thousand dollars? $5,000, yes? Yes? $5,000. See, the worth of something is, is determined by the price that was paid for it. Likewise, our worth is determined by the price that was paid for you and I. The price that was paid for you and I was the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. You are significant because of that price that was paid for you. Amen? Amen? Second reason why we are significant, because of who we have in us. Colossians uh, unpacks this, in the book of Colossians, Paul unpacks this amazing verse. He says that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And you know, the world has a very loose definition of hope. Hope is like wishful thinking. Hope is like I hope it happens. But the Bible, when it talks about hope, it talks about hope as such. The Greek word of, that, 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 that is used in, in this passage is the word elpis, which means confident expectation. Christ in us, the confident expectation of glory. That means that when I encounter you, I can have that hope that I will encounter glory. I can have that confident expectation that I will encounter God through your life. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I think in order for us to fully grasp this verse, who we are, the true context of servanthood, we need to understand what is glory. What is this glory that we have in us? What does it mean to be carriers of His glory? And this is where I want to camp for the majority of my sermon. Let's put up the graphic. In order to talk about glory, we have to talk about glory where it all first began. I designed these trees myself. Thank you, thank you. Adele, me many slides, but graphics is all Dre, okay? This is the trees, okay? Everybody say these are trees. Okay, great, we're all on the same page. Romans three verse twenty three, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, when we talk about glory, we often associate glory with the word Shekinah. Yes? Shekinah. Shekinah glory. Shekinah is not a word found in the Bible. Shekinah is is a word used to describe the presence of glory. And Shekinah really comes from the word shekan, which means to dwell. So when we talk about Shekinah glory, it means the dwelling place of glory or the dwelling place of the presence of God. Amen? So this was Eden. Eden was a place that had Shekinah glory. It was a place where God dwelt. It was a place where His glory dwelt. This was where glory was first mentioned in the Bible. Next And then Moses was given an assignment. Moses was given an assignment. God gave him an assignment like, I want you, Moses, to build a house to house my presence, to house my glory. He gave him specific instructions. Right? We're all all together. He gave him specific instructions and Moses built this this lavish tabernacle for God. And then it says in in that verse, Exodus 40, verse 34, that after Moses sanctified the, the, the tabernacle, after he prayed, The glory of God came upon the temple. Exodus 40 verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. By today's estimation, that tabernacle, based on the building materials, based on the labor, would be worth $16 billion. The tabernacle today would be a $16 billion building. God gave Moses the assignment, build me a $16 billion building to house my glory. Next one. And then we know David was given, David had a desire to build God a temple. And it was Solomon who built it. Same thing. Specific instructions. Build me a house. Solomon prayed. Sanctified it. Prayed. And then... It says in 2 Chronicles 5, verse 14, the glory of God came, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. That building today would be worth $60 billion. God gave Moses a church, built me a $16 billion building, and then he gave David and Solomon a church, and they built a $60 billion building to house the glory for the purpose of Shekinah, for the purpose of building God a dwelling place. And then we go on the next slide. That's Jesus. Everybody say, that's Jesus. <laughs> you can only do so much with shapes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I spend like 30 minutes, no, I mean about an hour building this thing. Okay? It's all shapes. Jesus, Okay? says in John chapter 1, verse 14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That word dwelling, interestingly, is the word tabernacle. The Word became flesh and tabernacle among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we see the progression of glory, from glory to glory, from the, from the garden to the tabernacle, to the temple, to Jesus. And what's the next step? What's the next progression of glory? It's you and me. It's you and me. Colossians, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's interesting that in in John chapter 2, verse 19, he says that, Jesus prophesies that, he will destroy the temple and raise it again in three days. He pointed to the temple and said, I will destroy the temple and I will raise it again in three days. Yes, He was speaking about Himself. He was speaking that He will be resurrected in three days. But how many of you know that we are called the temples of the Holy Spirit? I put it to you that that Jesus didn't want the glory, the, the presence to reside in just one building, just one temple. He desired the glory to reside in billions of temples, in you and me, that when He died, and rose again, He raised up not just one temple, He raised up billions of temples. Billions of temples with that mandate, that purpose of Shekinah glory to become a dwelling place for God's glory. That's why you and I are significant. From the the garden to a $16 billion building to a $60 billion building, now you and I have the same mandate. It was not God's desire for the glory to be housed in a building with precious gems, with gold, with marble. His great desire was for the glory to be housed in skin and bones. You are worth more than a $16 billion building. You are worth more than a $60 billion building. You are significant. You are significant. You are significant. From the beginning of time, the ultimate price was paid for the ultimate temple. The ultimate price was paid for the ultimate temple. We are the ultimate temple. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that God places such value and significance on our lives, on who we are? So the question is how does this, us knowing our significance, relate to serving? How does all this equate to us giving of ourselves? You know, in the Old Testament, the word that was most often used for glory was the word is the word kabot. How many of you know the word kabot? "Kabot" means weighty presence, yes? But it's interesting, there was a transition in the New Testament that the word glory, uh, in the New Testament, that, that the, the word that was most often used for glory is the word doxa. And the word doxa means light. It means light. And it brings to mind the verse, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill. Amen. But for me, it brings to mind the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60, it says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Kings to the brightness of your rising. Follow me here. When when God, when Moses asked God to show him His glory, God showed him His goodness. I believe more accurately, His nature. You no, know, I, I one of my most profound encounters with God was when God revealed to me that, Andre. I have so many attributes, I'm so multifaceted, I have so much that's in me that I need all of humanity to display each and every single one of them. That I've placed something unique in every single person so that they may represent me uniquely. And then he gave me a mission and said, Andre, I want you to spend the rest of your life finding me in people, calling them out. And if they're not living from that place of destiny, help them. And that's really my, my life's mission. It says arise and shine for your light has come. It doesn't say the Lord's light. It says your light. It's a personal light. It's a light that's unique and personal to you. It's your light. Amen? There's something unique. There's something special that God has placed inside each and every single one of you. And because it's unique, it's significant. I want to read to you a couple of quotes. Miles McPherson. Boom. Just our being born on the earth is evidence that our life possesses something that this generation needs. Read that again. Just our being born on the earth is evidence that our life possesses something that this generation needs. Next quote. Martha Graham. Martha Graham was was someone that revolutionized the modern dance scene. She was uh, the founder of something called the Graham Technique. Yes, I read. And... uh, and so her, her quote is this there is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. Next slide. If you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. Let's just, just let that sink, sink in for a bit. Because there's only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. If you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. There is something unique and special within us. And unless we release it, the world will not have it. John chapter 13, Simon Peter looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you you will not wash my feet. You will not wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, that unless I wash your feet, you will have no part with me. And that verse more more accurately is translated as, unless I wash your feet, you will have no portion of me. Unless we serve, people will not receive a portion of us. Unless we wash their feet, they will not receive a portion of us. Could it be that by serving, I reveal who God is in me? Could it be? Could it be that, th- that that is the key? Could it be that by me serving, I'm fulfilling the, the Habakkuk 2, that the knowledge of the glory of God, that the knowledge of His glory will cover the earth as the waters of the, cover the sea? Could it be? What if serving is so much more significant than, than menial labor and a display of talents? What if service is what releases and reveals God because we look so much like Jesus when we serve because He is the servant of all? What if serving looks like that? What if serving looks like that? And it says in Isaiah 60 again, kings shall come to the brightness of your rising. Kings shall come to the brightness of your rising. There was a man in the Bible who who actually had had that experience, that kings came to the brightness of his rising. And the man was Solomon. Solomon. You know, king is someone who who lives in such comfort. Like, Like I said earlier, everyone exists to serve the king's needs. But yet the king, seeing the light, has to go, has to go and learn. And and one of those royal figures was the Queen of Sheba. She came all the way down to Solomon's kingdom, looked and marveled at the magnificence of Solomon's kingdom. And this is what she said to Solomon. She said, God has given you favor, Solomon, because of his love for Israel. God has given you much, Solomon, because of his love for Israel. I think the same can be said of us, that God has given us much, God has favoured us much, God has placed such significance on us because of His love for the people around us. The New Testament equivalent will be freely you receive, now freely give. Queen of Sheba was essentially saying this, that favour that ends with a single person has missed its intended target. Favour that ends with a single person Significance that ends with a single, single person has missed its intended target. The glory and significance that you have is for the sake of others. And to tie it back to today's belief because you are significant, you serve. Because you are significant, you serve. Can we stand? I want to tell you this morning that there's something special and unique within you. You matter. Why? Because there is a glory within you. You matter. Why? Because there's a special, unique God attribute that only you can represent, that only you can release. You have that in you. You have that. So we all know glory is within us. How do we get it out? I believe we get it out by serving. I believe that when we serve others, we reveal Him. Just to tie it back to the first story I shared about, about taking money aside to be generous with people. I remember I, I, I was buying drinks for this young boy who, who I was playing soccer with. And I was doing it for uh, at least two months. And I didn't preach the gospel. I didn't tell him I was from a church. And after two months of buying him drinks every week, he, he looked at me and said, where are you from? Why are you so nice? Why are you so generous? Can you tell me like, why, why are you doing this for me? And in that moment, I got to share with him my faith. I got to share with him that, that hey, you think I'm good? You think I'm nice? There is a God. There is a king that is greater. There is a, a God. There is a king who loves you so much more than I do. When you serve, you reveal the king. Serving is an external act that releases the glory within Serving. Serving. That's how we change the world. Serving. That is how the glory of the Lord covers the earth. Serving. That's how we, we collectively have a greater revelation of who God is. Serving. Yes, Ben? So I want to pray for us this morning. You know, I, I, and I, I spend uh, a good part of my sermon talking about significance, presenting a biblical idea, a biblical view of significance. You see, but but what I've come to discover is that you you do not get taught to be significant. You experience significance. I cannot teach you into significance. You have to experience it. And so this morning, you know, I want to pray for people to encounter the Father's love and the Father's affirmation and affection that you will truly know that you are significant without a doubt that you will truly know who you are as sons and daughters of God that out from that place of knowing who you are out of that place of of knowing your identity you no longer serve in order to feel significant you no longer do things in order to feel special you know that you are unique you know that you are special to God who loves you so and out from that place Flows pure servanthood that releases glory on the earth. And so we'll sing a song and then we'll pray. That was very well done. Oh. Morning. Want to pray for people to encounter the love of the Father. Want to pray for people to encounter their significance in Christ Jesus. And and some of you might be like the two groups of people that I described. You might have been serving for a number of years. You might have been serving for a period of time, and you feel drained. You feel burnout. And you you struggle sometimes with the idea that I need to serve in order to feel important. I need to serve in order to feel valued. Can I tell you that? The Father wants to encounter you with His significance, with His love for you. The Father said this of Jesus, that this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And that was the point that before Jesus did any ministry, the Father said this, that this is my Son, I'm pleased. And the Father is saying that over you this morning. Some of you might be the second group that you fear to serve, that you fear to give a little bit more, because you fear that that if I give, I will run out. If I give, I won't have enough. Can I tell you that you are significant to the Father? That God will provide to you your every need out of the riches of His kingdom. That as you seek first His kingdom, all things shall be added unto you. That you no longer have to worry. That you no longer have to fear, because you are significant to the Father. And He will make sure your cup is always full. So if that is you this morning, you you feel like I I need to encounter love once again. I need to encounter my significance once again. I have trouble believing that I'm worth more than a $16 billion building. I have trouble believing I'm worth more than a $16 billion building. If that is you this morning, I want you to raise your hands and I'll pray for you. the love of the father this morning you need to encounter significance just just raise your hands, just lift your hands lift your hands, lift your hands high and church family you see hands lifted all across this place I want you to go around, look for someone that, that has their hands up, put a hand on them and release the love of the father release significance this morning if you didn't raise your hand it's not too late, lift your hands if you need to encounter this, come on to release your love in this place. God, we want to serve out of the abundance that we have received. We want to serve out of place of being loved. We want to serve because we are fully known by a King. We want to serve because we have our significance found in you. We want to serve, God, to release your glory because your glory is within us. Your glory is... Deposit in every individual.